0: Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your word and circumstances, the freedoms, the place in this world. Gather together to look at it, to consider your guidance for our lives and our thoughts. In your Son's name, amen. We're in Acts chapter 15. And if you are unfamiliar with Acts or it doesn't automatically spring to mind what's going on here, this is right after the first missionary journey of Paul. But crucial to what happens in Acts 15 is Acts 11, a short comment after the stoning of Stephen, the church was scattered out of Jerusalem, and um, in a short editorial historical editorial remark is made by Luke. Now here on the left hand side, Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number that believed turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord, with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large company was added to the Lord, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people, and in Antioch the disciples were, for the first time, called Christians. Now, the a couple of interesting things right there. This is where you, you call yourselves Christians. This is where you get your name, Acts 11. This is the first place they were called Christians. Um, second interesting thing, it brackets, I don't know if you noticed this, the scattering under the persecution of Stephen. Remember, he was put to death. And who was standing collecting the coats? Paul. Paul. By the end of this paragraph, Barnabas has gone to get Paul, who has become a Christian, from Tarsus. So it it is a number of years that have gone by uh, in this section. And uh, uh, the other interesting thing is a slight unknown. Well, you you had to put another passage together. Barnabas is from Cyprus. So the disciples in Jerusalem pick a, a Cypriot to go talk to the Cypriot Christians in Antioch, uh, it was a good diplomacy. Good diplomacy. But this was the, 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 the step that some group of young happening pastors walked into a town and decided, first everybody was just ministering to Jews, talking to the Gentiles. There was nothing in the theology that said the gospel wouldn't go to the Gentiles. It was just sort of common practice only to preach to Jews because Jews were very insular, very kept apart. We're the chosen people. But I read this passage because chapter 15 is this problem breaking out in the church. So guys had decided they were going to preach to Gentiles. Now, this is going back in time to the time of, uh, after the stoning of Stephen, the ministry to Cornelius the Centurion is in chapter 10, so the chapter 11 follows after that, but this is going, again, going back to where the persecution first arose. So the church is learning at large through Peter's experience in uh, Joppa and Caesarea uh, that um, that the gospel can go to the Gentiles. These Cypriot Christian, Jews probably, were preaching to Gentiles in Antioch. and by the t- But a, an actual church develops at Antioch um, that Paul and Barnabas end up helping to pastor. And this is where we got our names as Christians. Now chapter 15 of Acts, verse 1. But some men, came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved. Okay? A little pushback. Everybody had been preaching to the Jews. Some guys probably with knit caps on the back of their heads. Dreads decided they were going to preach to the Gentiles and the Gentiles were wonderfully saved and glorified God and he noticed that they were really saved and he glorified God but there's always people who say, no the old way is better the way we used to do it only talking to Jews and if you want to come into this thing called Christianity you need to be a Jew you need to get circumcised according to the custom of Moses, or you cannot be saved. And they had come up from, you know, say, Christianity Central, Judea. They had come up from, you uh, Jerusalem. What's Antioch? Antioch's in Syria, by the way, it's uh, just inland. Uh, well, Syria's in the news now, but I, Antioch's. It was a great ancient city founded by Antiochus um, I. And when Paul and Barnabas had, in red, in bold, no small dissension and debate. First thing we have to remember, if you ever think you can go back, we're just going to revisit this a couple times today, You can go back to the apostolic period for the pure church. This is the pure church. People saying unthinkable and wrong and incorrect things and getting into a big theological argument. No small dissension. That means it was a big one. No small. It wasn't this, you know, polite texting one another. Well, maybe you haven't really considered passage A. It's a debate. It's a dissension. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and the elders, about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, reporting the conversion of the Gentiles, and they gave great joy to all the brethren. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, and the apostles, and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So they're echoing the open gospel, open doors to the Gentiles, because of the nature of the gospel. Possibly even the nature of the Lord's command in the Great Commission. Making disciples of all nations... I don't know if you could feel that for us it's not a big tension. You're mostly Gentiles. There's not this big tension about, oh my gosh, what if I talk to somebody who wasn't of Jewish descent? Their sense of uncleanness, their sense of separation, their sense of piety had so much to do with who they were. Now, those of us who are Scots have a sense of that feeling. The unwashed nature of the rest of you. The Irish, especially. I'm kidding about that. If you don't know me, I was just kidding. There's a proverb that says don't do that. <laughs> we don't understand this, but the great commission, I don't, I don't know if you're reading through the, the apostles, you will see them referring to passages where just the word nations is used. That God had a purpose, even way back in the Old Testament, to reach the nations. And so here were some insightful Christians in Antioch who said, Hold it, didn't he tell us to preach to all the nations? All the Gentiles? And is there nothing, isn't there, there's no barrier in the gospel? You have a sinful man, Christ died to save sinners. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Why would a Gentile not be able to benefit from that? They put it all together, they do it, and it works. Barnabas recognizes it. But if you're a Jew, a member of the Christian church there in Jerusalem, that seems to be a bit fresh, a bit too new. No, I'm, you you know me, I'm wearing a tweed coat. I'm I'm not going to be saying, hey, let's be fresh and name this church something else that's really fresh. I'm not trying to say any kind of modernism is cool because God likes modernism. No. He had commanded them to reach the nations. The gospel was a provision for all men everywhere. And now the church was finally practicing it. But some people couldn't let go of tradition. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. They couldn't let it go. Necessary. Just like the people who had come up from Judea, unless they're circumcised, according to Moses, you cannot be saved. In case you're wondering, this is still an argument. Still a dissension. Still a debate. But this passage in Acts 15 is the place where it was settled by the apostles. They decided what was right and passed it on to the church, and has been sitting there in the scriptures since that time to remind us when this debate comes up, what to do with it. Now, right there in the, under the Acts 11 passage, I have a Galatians 2 passage. It's, I didn't want to print the whole thing out, but if you look at the whole chapter of Galatians 2, it's about Paul going back to Jerusalem in this visit and dealing with the church about this issue. And this is a key thing, he says. But because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to them we did not yield submission even for a moment, that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you this no small dissension and debate has gone on for 2,000 years and those that fight at the side of Paul, Peter, and James are preserving the gospel that you might have been saved so that you didn't have to come here and jump through whatever kind of liturgical hoops whatever kind of religious works, whatever kind of moral work like, do enough of this good, do enough of that good Then you can be saved. We're not the LDS church where it's after all that you can do. We're Christians. We are saved by grace through faith. The truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul calls them false brethren. Now, Galatians, if you go back and read, you know, first chapter of Galatians, you know, he's, kicking hiney and taking names. I mean, it's not, oh, you idiot Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have begun with the Spirit, now ending with the flesh? The, these, these heavy expressions, where Paul no small dissension about this point. Luke is rendering the historic moment of the Jerusalem Council, telling you how the church dealt with this as people have always, in religion, suggested lawful pieties, whatever they are, as a replacement for the grace of God to get us into bondage. Because as soon as a religion has the rules, especially if it's a liturgical rule, because, you know, frankly, you know, I get to be up here. This is the chancel. This is where the magic happens. And so if you want to go to heaven, you've got to come up here, and I will sprinkle you with some of the blessed, I don't know, what are we going to make it? Gatorade? Uh, Five-hour energy? I don't know. Something that this church will have special that we will possess. Bondage again. we don't want to fail to realize this debate is ongoing. Just because they made a decision didn't mean it fixed those false brethren. There are always people who think that Christianity and spirituality and piety are impossible by grace. Maybe even among ourselves. There are people who think, if you remove the law, what's my kid going to do? If you remove the law, what's my kid going to do? You don't send the youth group off to a retreat center with no chaperones, now do you? No rules, do you? Is Evan recommending that we do? I don't believe in youth groups, so I don't know. I think just the best thing you can do is place a, a bullet in every teenager's leg and let them get over that. And then shoot them in the other leg, and after a few years they're an adult. Then you deal with it. But we know we know that that we're a little nervous about this. That somehow the power of God in the work of the believer, because perhaps we've dumbed down what it is to be a believer. We think someone walks an aisle, signs a card, prays a prayer at camp, throws a stick in the fire. They they have passed from death to life. But that's not what we're we're not having a separate more evangelical liturgy that you've got to go through. The Catholics over here getting the Eucharist and confession and and baptism and you're over here walking an aisle throwing a stick in the fire everybody wants to have these physical rituals they do but we're not looking for that we're looking for people who have passed from death to life chapter 15 verse 6 the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter and after there had been much debate once again Peter rose and said to them brethren you know that in the early days God made choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. as back in chapter 10. And God, listen to this, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. That's such a good wrap up. It has happened. If you read chapter 10, then chapter 11, when he ministers to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his household. So they start speaking in tongues. And Paul, Peter says, How can we forbid water to those who receive the Holy Spirit just as we did? He recognized the work of God. He says, God knows the heart. God knew. We weren't trying to say, hmm, how do we know these Gentiles play the religious game like we want them to play it? Well, let's get them circumcised or baptized or, or walk an aisle or throw a stick in the fire. You've got to do something. got to show us something. God was looking at their heart. The work of the Holy Spirit was uh, expressed in them. And Peter was along for the ride. But he says he cleansed their hearts by faith. And he came back in chapter 11 and told the church in Jerusalem what had happened. And they were convinced at that time that God had, the gospel had gone out to the Gentiles. So he has to repeat it again, almost in the same words right here. He made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you make trial of God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our, uh, our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is an argument between religious observance, moral observance. You say, hold on, aren't we for morality? Yes, we are. But not to be saved. That's the whole point. The law, the moral law, the ceremonial law, none of the law was there to get you to glory. And this is making a trial of God. Now, when Paul says, false brethren, what's your feelings about that? Do you like St. Paul here, or is it one of those moments? I know some people, moderns, have a little problem with St. Paul. You know, because, well, you know, you sold out to the world. But even on something like this, now, Paul's a little bit too much on the grace business. One of the current trends in theology, I think it's M.T. Wright, Bishop Wright, talking about how Luther overstressed the grace of God in Galatians, that it was a misapprehension about what the Jews thought and. So forth and so on. There are people who are minimizing the work of faith, the work of grace, and the life of the believer. This is why they're first called Christians. This is what the gospel is. This is what must be preserved. Against all comers. And the false brethren need to be told, you're putting a yoke on the believers that no one is able to bear. But what, 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 the nature of this impulse? If it keeps going, is it a plot? Is it a conspiracy? Is it the the powers of darkness behind this? <coughs> Everyone likes the idea of piety. If you're going to be in religious circles, piety is a you know kind of a the coin of the realm. Everybody wants to be thought um, a soul that is lifted up. This error has an appeal because law always sacrifice always denial always obedience to the rules always looks pious. And we want to look pious. And so we're going to put a yoke on that we can't bear. The fathers couldn't bear it. The apostles couldn't bear it. They all needed the grace of God. I don't care how pharisaical St. Paul was, it was not good enough. Read Romans 7. I want to do what the law of God says, but I cannot do it. Though all the assembly kept silence, and all the assembly kept silence, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles after they see finish speaking now notice that they're, they're telling the story of what has happened salvation happened God bore witness to these Gentiles saving them without circumcision in the way that Peter had to recognize it and every time they told the story of the gospel going out people recognized salvation had come to these people Not that they had walked an aisle, not that they had gotten baptized. What do we do? We have a thing where you count up the number of baptisms. You count up the number of, no, we're looking for people from passing to death from death to life. Not not how many baptisms we're going to do. Signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they'd finished speaking, James replied, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his own name. And with the words of the prophet, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up, and that the rest of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. Who has made these things known from of old. He has gone back to the Old Testament where the word nations was used which is the word Gentiles which for the Jew meant everybody who wasn't chosen. And James realizes this. Now this is James the Lord's brother, the guy who wrote the section Mark wrote, read this morning. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the pollutions of idols, and from unchastity, and from what is strangled, and from blood. Now what just happened there? What just happened there? Christianity through the gospel is not something other than holiness it is the right path to holiness the law is the wrong path to holiness because it doesn't work so when we say we're antinomians and I would you know, strictly speak an antinomian, when I say I'm an antinomian means nomos law, anti, against I'm against the law but I'm not against the holiness of the believer. But the holiness of the believer has to be from the change of God. The God God has borne witness of His Son and your faith by saving you. God sees your heart. He knows if you believed. He knows if He's going to pour out His Holy Spirit to you and cleanse your heart by faith. He knows. I don't have to know, the church doesn't have to know, the sacrificial system doesn't have to know, the baptisms don't have to know, the roles of the church don't have to agree with it. It is what God has done. But what God has done, like uh, Mark read this morning, is real faith, the work of the Holy Spirit in you, where the things of God are lived out in you. The expectations of God. And he lists a few. We don't want to trouble you. We'll remind you. Now, what what is that? What's the difference here between that reminder? What's the difference between that and a law? because it's kind of an imperative. He repeats it later in the letter he sends to Antioch. He calls them necessary things. Especially the one about what is strangled. Because it sounds like a pretty good list of pretty bad things, right? Idolatry, prostitution, and violence. But there's that one, and what is strangled, which was kind of the health laws of the Jews. Some of the ancient manuscripts don't have that phrase. I don't know what you want to do with that. Don't have the what is strangled. It may have been added by someone who thought that they were clarifying Luke, but I can't say. When a Christian lets you know where God has taken them, what they understand to be holy, you're finding a, an outside source of what your shared faith in Jesus Christ ought to be driving you toward. Not sexual immorality. Not idolatry. Not punching people out in John's alley. Just not doing those things. It's hard for us to wait to see whether or not the Lord brings about those things. Now, we encourage one another to look at those things. Is this what the Lord wants of you? If someone came to you and said, well, you know, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. You know, I just think there's freedom in Christ. Do you know? Do you think St. Paul thinks there's that kind of freedom in Christ? What did he think? Well, he was, he was against that sort of thing. So you can really say that the spirit in you is not the same spirit in St. Paul. That's what we've discovered. These, these suggested, necessary, imperative things. Without We're, saying we're not want to put a burden on you. We don't want to, what's the phrase, trouble you. We're not going to give you a list of three things, maybe four. Take a look at it. Find out if your faith, if the Holy Spirit takes you there. If it does, it matches the Holy Spirit in us. Much easier, really, frankly, to make a list of rules for everybody. Come on. We could sit down after church today, jot a few ideas out, come up with the categories of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. We could start fresh, a brand new church idea. And some would say, no, Evan, we really need to read the Apostolic Fathers. We need to go back to, oh, it's not, the Apostolic Fathers is not enough. Let's go back to the Old Testament. And find yourself getting yelled at by St. Paul? I don't, th- I, don't, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to have him call me an idiot. If I go back, the writer of Hebrews does the same thing, the writer of Galatians does it. If we say, well, no, not not in something new. Don't write a new church. Let's go back and, oh, what's tradition, right? It smells so holy to be traditional. Peter calls it an unbearable yoke. Paul calls it bondage. Which side of this long debate are you going to be on? Which side of this long debate? All of Christianity, to be Christianity, has to argue for salvation by grace through faith. After that, things start to fall apart. The debate starts to happen. Some false brethren in the church actually taking it the direction of the Judaizers. Or the legalists, or whatever else you want to deal with. We have different approaches to the rest of it, but we are trying to be in a place where Jesus Christ has saved you, and you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are being led to seek the mind of God about how you live with your fellow man, how to express the love of the Christian in such a way that you are holy before God, that you meet his imperatives. And it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, with the following letter. Quote, the brethren, both the apostles and the elders, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greeting. Since we have heard that some persons from us have troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something that sprang to me as I was looking at that. Because one of the key elements of people who are going to pull you back into bondage is to pull out the age-old card of age-old church. The apostolic fathers. Don't you know that Irenaeus said this? Don't you know that Polycarp said that? Clement said this. Cyril of Alexandria said that. Why? Well, they knew the apostles. right? Polycarp was a you know, A disciple of John the Apostle. Well, so anything he says is right, right? Because he knew. Hold it. All of these false teachers knew the Apostles. Right here, on this page. They weren't just writing to us from the Apostolic Times. This was the Apostolic Times. They were from the Apostolic Town. They're friends with the Apostles. They show up in Antioch. And if somebody said, hey, you know the Apostles? Oh, sure, I know the Apostles. I used to babysit Peter's kids. My gosh, he's got to be right. He's from the same century. <laughs> Nowadays, that works with us. My gosh, he wears robes. He's from the same century, or maybe even the next century. But kind of apostolic. They call them the apostolic fathers. The apostolic Banned the actual apostles are sitting there going, hmm, some guys from us, he, they admit these guys are, have apostolic connections, from us, troubled you, unsettled you, but we had given them no instructions. It's not important that you go find somebody who wrote a long time ago. That's not how you get your truths. That's how people who are going to bring you back into bondage bring you... I saw one guy quoting Irenaeus the other day on Facebook. It happens with my friends. Um, Because he wanted to prove that Christians needed to keep the Eucharist and believe it had actually turned into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Transubstantiation. Well, he was a long time ago. We're against the modern, aren't we? Yes. It was a long time ago. Yeah, so was Attila the Hun. A long time ago is not truth-bearing. False teachers entered the church in the apostolic era, where the apostles had to have no small dissension and a debate with them over a period of time and had to overrule them and call them false brothers. The only thing you can be sure of is what the apostles tell you. Not what the friends of the apostles tell you. The apostles. The apostolic instruction. Having come to one accord, verse 25, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 27. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. They wanted to be sure. Barnabas and Paul, who were of one position, they had debated the issue from that side. They had been down to Jerusalem. They're going to get sent back. There's going to be a written form, and there's going to be a couple extra guys bearing testimony that this is what the apostles think. I've got what the apostles think in this book. Close as I can now. I've read the Apostolic Fathers, stuff in there is decent. The only stuff I'm sure of is what the apostles said. Because there were false brethren back then. Even Peter, if you read Galatians, even the apostle Peter was led astray. Barnabas was led astray for a brief moment on this point alone. And only Paul just coming down on them like nobody's business stop them from their foolishness because we're so easily led astray on this point bear it in mind go back and study this what is the gospel what passes brings your soul before God and cleanses you what is that do you have to do anything It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from unchastity. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Quick note. Necessary things are imperative things. Imperative things are not laws. Say, I thought they were. No. Imperative things is It's imperative that you do this. A law is you will do this and the reward will be X and you don't do this and the punishment will be Y. You have to live according to this with punishment. If I went up to my children and said my will for you O children, there's two of them right there. My will for you, O my children, is that as the leaves fall onto my yard, you will present yourselves with rakes and rake up my yard into pile. That's my will for the yard. And if they said, because they might, what are you going to do if we don't? If I said nothing at all, it will not affect my relationship with you, I will not punish you. I will not reward you less. Nothing will happen at all. And they're going to look at me like, well, that's no law. <laughs> Nobody but it's an imperative, right? The imperative is now. God has a way of holiness he wants you to live in. He doesn't want you to get there by the law. We feel we have to create these systems of, of punishment, demand, either in the church or in yourself, under some law, not going before God and saying, Lord, has the faith I have, the grace you have given me, the love I have for my fellow man, love I have for you, putting these imperative, necessary things before me in such a way that I will do them because God wants you to. He's trying to stop the sin problem. Sin is the problem. We're not trying to find a way to get us all with coexist bumper stickers, you know, having you know, just not caring anymore. We care. God cares. We look to the grace of God. We look to his Holy Spirit. Has it happened in your life? There's objective examples of the holiness of the apostles, and they have ample suggestions of what the life in Christ ought to look like, what's necessary. But don't treat it as if your path there is the law. The path Jesus Christ gave you is the path of faith, the path of grace, the effect of love. When they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. And Judas and Silas, who were with themselves prophets, exhorted the brethren with many words and strengthened them. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brethren to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This kind of message ought to bring about rejoicing in you. This is a church in which the debate had gone on. This is the no small dissension. A lot of the, you know, know, mama's boys type of people are going, oh, I don't think we should have had that debate. That just was so... No, this was something that had to happen. It still has to happen. It has to happen in you. Maybe not in our church. It has to happen in you. Where am I? Do I believe that what is called Christianity is what brought grace to the Gentiles? That you did not have to keep the law of Moses to become a Christian. Before or after. The law does not make righteous. Grace makes righteous. Are you rejoicing in this? Are you strengthened in this? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your grace. We'd ask that you would bless us. In it, turn our hearts to a life that is changed by your Holy Spirit, not that it's attempting to be pious by the law. Help us learn from the law. Help us honor it. Help us. Uh, See the good that you have stated in it, but Lord, draw us to yourself and to your holiness by the work of your Holy Spirit. We'd ask you to make us loving people. In your Son's name, Amen.